We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 406 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton. He's Emil Evanesian. And today, it's a little two-for-one deal. We did not have a podcast after Valencia, because it's a Tuesday Champions League match. So we're talking Valencia and Victoria Pilsen, because one game mattered and one game didn't. Emil, can you guess which was which? Yes. Um, just given the fact that I spent most of the second half of today's six-goal thriller delving into Brooklyn Nets madness. Yeah, today's game wasn't uh, wasn't exactly the the most significant on the slate. Well, I can say that, you know, we did a lot of basketball talk in here to start here. As people who've been listening to the show for all these years know, my favorite player of all time was Steve Nash. And, well, as it was Steve Nash as a player. And while I'm not a Brooklyn Nets fan, I didn't even know they were the local team here. I didn't follow him to <laughs> Brooklyn. I am happy to see him outside now of that world. I hope he gets another job where I can root for him somewhere else down the road here because I, I think he did not say deserves better than that situation because I don't say, think he, he really showed you what he could do as a coach, but I hope it's a good learning experience for him. You know, even Jason Kidd, a guy that I don't really like too much. Yeah. He, he did the, what was it? The, the Nets thing and the Milwaukee thing and that stuff didn't work. Then he landed the Mavericks and now he's a good coach. So I'm hoping the same happens with another former Suns guard and that being Steve Nash that, you know, the Nets thing it's on his record. Then he, he moves on. The second stop is a little bit better. Look, I think he's – yeah, I think he'll come off of this. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows if he's a good coach or not. Like that's no, very you know, much open for debate. <laughs> and, I, mean, I, I could I could do well coaching Kevin Durant. I mean, I yeah, thus far I would say not so much. But, I, you know, he deserved better than whatever that chaos chamber is that he's been thrown into. Right. And, you know, so hopefully he gets another crack at it with something resembling a, a sane – set of circumstances. Yeah, I mean, I think the only example <laughs> to bring this back to the sport we're talking about yep. that's opposite this is the fact that because Messi was injured in the Tata Martino year, you know, yep. I got to watch Tata Martino with Atlanta United here locally, I well, locally by in, in the U.S., you know, out of the way. And I obviously, I watched plenty of the Mexican national team because I'm also keeping up with, you know, stuff. And I, I, I work with that, you know, behind the scenes with other jobs. And so Tata Martino is a much better coach than what he was at Barcelona. Yeah. I mean, much, much, much better. And yet with Barca, this, it looked like he had an inability to coach a fellow Argentine in Messi. And it looked like a disaster for all that time. So uh, that's one example of a guy who actually was better than yeah. just telling the star player to go out there and do his thing. But unfortunately, Messi was also injured that year. And that was also a long time ago. That was 10 years ago because we're just talking about Valencia now, which yep. <laughs> feels like 10 years ago 
show, but it was just on Saturday. Of course, I kind of had to remind myself what had happened after watching that Victoria Pilsen game, which it felt like a, a bit of a lobotomy at times. Yep. But Lewandowski scores in stoppage time, saves Barcelona for three points again, uh, continuing on the theme that Barcelona, A, are capable of keeping pace with Real Madrid in the mm-hmm. Liga because there is a night and day mentality. They are good enough to just sneak by the teams that are as good as them or just below them. Athletic Club, who they dominated, so that is not sneaking by, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> they destroyed the Athletic Club. Valencia, they destroyed Villarreal, who's right below them as well. They crushed Real Sociedad when they met earlier in the season mm-hmm. to score 4-1. So the teams that they have to beat to keep pace with Real Madrid and still take the L and on the chin that they did to, to La Real, they've done. And, yep. and Valencia is certainly in that group. They're in that next tier of teams that Barca, if they want to be able to challenge for the Liga, they've got to beat them any way possible. And they did that. They suffered. It's not a great game, but they figured it out. And there were guys in it that didn't really play well. And there were moments. And I think for the, for me, it was not to say a tale of two halves, but for me, it felt like unlike Villarreal and unlike Athletic Club, where they just went out and dominated for a week. Mm-hmm. It was a great week. Valencia felt like a hangover from Bayern Munich. It felt like, again, Pedri and Ter Stegen and Lewandowski and De Jong and Dembele. Everybody had either a heavy touch at times or a first half that looked like they were still thinking about Bayern Munich, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there is something to that. I think each of these last two Champions League games, I know we'll talk about Pilsen shortly, but each of these last two Champions League games, they, you know, they took the pitch at opening kickoff, they knew it was all moot. And they were essentially doing 90 minutes of cardio and, you know, just hoping to to give a decent account of themselves, which has to be a very bizarre way to go about, you know, approaching, you know, your final two group games in the, you know, the premier club competition in Europe. Yeah, I thought the Bayern Munich game was, was very strange in that regard. You know, I wasn't shocked that they lost. Um, in a strange way, I... It wouldn't have shocked me if the thing had just gotten a little bit uglier in the second half when, you know, just when it became clear that not only was there nothing to play for, but, you know, the like victory wasn't even going to be theirs. But so I can actually see there being a, a little bit of a, a carryover to to the Valencia game. Yeah, and I think they they did they did start a little bit slow and I mean if not completely slow, but not precise, not firing on all cylinders. I mean, but they still had by and large the the best of the game. I mean, they, you know, they, they weren't under great amounts of pressure from, from Valencia, even if they weren't initially, you know, looking like this precision instrument that was, that was going to put goals up on the board. They looked like the clearly superior team, which coming off of that Bayern game was, yeah, I mean, I guess reasonably it was, it was kind of what you would hope for. Um, Obviously you'd, you'd want a sharper, sharper performance right out of the gate, but you know, Eh, what are you going to do? But that yeah. I, they they ultimately did dominate the game, if not the scoreline, and they they put in a good performance. I think the most positive thing for me is not only the three points, of course, but the fact that they again in the Liga seem to have the mentality and yeah. the belief that they did, did not exist in the Champions League. They just never did. And <clears> even <throat> after that miss by Ferran Torres with five minutes to go in the game, I mean that was a wild miss. That I mean that yeah. is a awful miss. That does stay with you, if not for having Victoria Pilsen on Tuesday, which yes. we'll get to in a second. So thankfully, that miss is, uh, to me, almost already forgotten, even though, again, yeah. I had to remind myself that he 
you know, absolutely couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat against Valencia, that being yeah. Ferran Torres, in a, in a match that I think meant a lot to him. Every time he goes back to the Valencia, I mean, obviously the way he left was under, you know, not great circumstances. Right. Uh, and he was, he was their prodigal son for a few years. I mean, they loved him. Yeah. They cheered him and, and to, to go back and kind of lay, lay the egg that he did in front of net is rough. So I, I think, as I said, the bad news is that they didn't look at themselves, but the good news is very much like Mallorca and Celta from earlier this year, you know, there were times where certain players were stinking up the joint and Barcelona still got points that you felt like in those games they quote unquote deserved, if you will. And when I say stunk, stink up the joint, I'm I'm starting with a player that I have. I defend when here I defend him when he deserves to be defended and I go in on him and I feel like I deserve to be able to go in on him when he deserves to go in on him. I'm talking about Eric Garcia. <laughs> he was awful for the, yeah. 46, the 42 minutes he was on the field. Really just awful. And unfortunately, he was injured. Not great for him. And so I guess he's my little defense. I'll whisper it that, you know, maybe he already was dealing with a little bit of something from the opening kickoff <laughs> or 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 he just stuck up the joint. I'm not entirely sure which he did. But yeah, Eric was rough. First half yellow, you know, again, came off in the 42nd minute, but defending was nowhere near what it needed to be. Yeah. Uh, then, of course, all of my uh, all of my nerves were calmed when Alonzo immediately comes on and almost gets a red card within three minutes of being on the field. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then obviously the the Jules Kounde apparently the hamstring injury is not that bad, but mm. also Jules Kounde getting any injuries of any kind is terrifying. What keeps me yeah. up at night, especially after watching. You know, we'll get to the Victoria Pills and stuff, but you watch that back line and you go, yeah. "Oh man, Jules Kounde." But I thought he was very good. I think Jules Kounde from minute one all the way until the final whistle was the one player on Barca that didn't really have a moment when mm. things look shaky. Right. Like, even against Bayern, there were there he had he had moments, but. I thought he was really, really good. And then mm -hmm. the, the, the big other talking point for me against Valencia that was so interesting, and there was no way to look this up, but Valencia ended that game with three left backs on the field. Did you? I, I don't know if you know that. No, I, I, yeah. that, that didn't register for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I watched the game, but no. Um, Aya, Lato, and then the other left back who came on, whose name is escaping me at the moment, they had three left backs on the field to end the game, and Barca also had three left backs on the field in Alba, Alonso and Balde oh, on the same yeah. time. So but, the game the game ends with six left backs of the twenty two players on the field or the the twenty outfield players, if you will. So I, I don't can't imagine that's ever happened before in a La Liga game because again, most Liga teams only have the ability to carry two left backs in a season. So you're really talking. I mean, it's, it's almost an impossibility <laughs> that that's that it's ever going to happen. But, uh, but it but really is. I mean, six left backs on the field. It, like almost sounds like some sort of like avant-garde Pep Guardiola strategy for the second yeah. leg of like the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Well, I was and thinking if Alex Moreno, <laughs> if Alex Moreno, who arguably has been the best left back in the league this year, if Alex Moreno was in that game, Luis Enrique to figure out who his left back is for Spain for the World Cup. Just Club, watch that game. Just watch that game. Yeah. <laughs> you, get to, you get to watch all five or six or whatever, seven left backs in your pool. Uh, Very efficient. Yeah. I mean, in these final weeks before the, the World Cup, you know, just yeah, do I mean, And I think what was interesting about the left back discussion here we can have is that between Alba, Gaia, and Balde, you know, in the five headlines, mm -hmm. I called it past, present, and future, because that's kind of what it felt like. Yeah. It felt like it was the, the, the old start of the Spanish national team. The present who should be the starter at the World mm -hmm. Cup, and that's Gaia, mm -hmm. and then if not Alex Moreno, and then the future, which is Alex Bald. Apparently, does not like Alex, so mm -hmm. you know I, I never knew to oscillate, yeah. but apparently it's Alejandro. We're driven by the search for better. 
But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And, and Balde was kind of interesting because, you know, Gaia showed you why he is their captain, why Valencia, if, you know, why they're literally holding on to him for dear life. They're like, mm-hmm. we're going to lose everybody else. We lost everybody else already. We yeah. have to hold Gaia. And, and you saw why, because he shut down that, that counter for Lewandowski after Mats had played a really great ball. But Balde was arguably Barca's best player until that goal that was then ruled offside. Because, yeah. I mean, that was just awful defending by him. Lino just beat him dead to rights, yep. beat him in the air, and that was it. But fortunately, Marcos Andre's hand hit the ball, and Barcelona were able to fight another day. And then because it doesn't count, I don't know, Emil, what do you ever think of that? Where a goal is called offside, and a player is just awful uh, defending yeah. on the goal, and then it doesn't count, so it doesn't technically matter, like it, as if it didn't yeah. happen. And so outside of that moment, Balde was, once again, really, really solid in that game. So if, um, I think the last part of what you said is in a situation like that, that's what I take most into consideration is, you know, I mean, stuff happens, you know, you, you make mistakes and this and that, just in, in any endeavor, you know, you can, you can flub something when you're having an otherwise good day. And I think what happens is if you, if you get that kind of get out of jail free card, what I really look at is, okay, so you were good leading up to that. You made that mistake. You were given a reprieve. Then what happens after that? You know, in, in some cases, and I do imagine a lot of these guys are just when something like that happens, they probably do refocus and and recommit simply because, you know, I mean, you really, you got lucky. Just circumstances or whatever. Someone was offside. Someone, you know, handled the ball or whatever. And your mistake will effectively be struck from the record. And you want it to stay that way. And so, you know, if you can, if you're playing, de- you know, if you've got, if you've got, you know, form and confidence, I think a lot of guys are able to, to write the ship pretty quickly after that. So for me, it is, it's a thing that happened, but I think it's perfectly justifiable and it's perfectly fine that it, you know, be struck, be stricken from the, from the, the long time record. Well, speaking of making mistakes and striking <laughs> the record, if, for those who watched my five headlines, you know that apparently I exported the wrong way. It was a, <laughs> I, I, I'm dealing with a little bit of sickness. I'm on medication. So the uh, I, it's missing the last four minutes, and you can't re-upload and all those things after it's been out. So I woke up to learn that I, I, had, I shortchanged everybody about four minutes. So that final headline that I didn't kind of get to fully was that Busquets and Ansu were both, to me, not great in that game. These guys has had worse this year uh, as the competition has gotten better. He's had worse. But even against Valencia, there was something off about him. He was off the mark, miscalculated a pass that was supposed to be between Lewandowski and Demele that should have ended a scoring opportunity. He then immediately runs back well, runs back, gets to his spot, but then loses a header 
after Eric Garcia had stepped forward on the long ball and Valencia are off the races. Um, so I, I thought when I say off the mark, one old and one young, I meant that when Boosie is off the mark now, you say, I mean, it, you you have to begin to eat in his into his minutes. You have to begin to have yes. others into his minutes. And that's what I mean by off the mark. Mm-hmm. And if anything, the other guy who's off the mark, the young guy, as Ansu will be our transition to talk about mm-hmm. Victoria Pilsen. Ansu was also off the mark. He was, as you said, energetic mm-hmm. and lively and very much like Ferran Torres, where you and I appreciate what they're doing. Yep. But at the end of the day... Getting into the right positions, like making making the right moves. And... Right. But at the end of the day, there comes to a point where they are judged by their production. Yes. And for Ansu, and I, I, I don't know what the... I think for Farron, I think fans jump on him a little bit more because of his price tag. So mm-hmm. basically he gets a game before people jump on him or yeah. a game and a half and people are on him. For Ansu, I feel like he's already been given a bit of a runway and a bit of leeway. And he did just turn 20 yesterday. So he is still young. He's working back from being out for almost 18 yeah. months. So there are so many caveats to kind of, you know, and I've done the same thing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in no way saying that Ansu is, is done or that he he's mm. incapable of this or that this is the player he is now he's not going to be fit again but it was interesting that 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 performance comes off this rumor this week that jorge mendez has apparently said he'll try to find him a way out if he doesn't get more minutes which again would be very difficult based on his release clause and the length of the contract i just think that is someone stirring the pot a little bit about jorge mendez potentially related to the ruben nevish stuff that I think Barca doesn't really want Ruben Nevish and Jorge Mendes mm-hmm. is like, hey, Laporta, like we're, we are boys. So maybe you want to look at Ruben Nevish. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> can, so you at I, least, can you at least do me a solid and, you know, just right. give me some leverage, you know, as I, yeah. as I try to goad other people into bidding him up? Exactly. So I, I think for Ansu, I mean, his touch, I mean, that was always discouraging. Yes, I had to remove that clinical tag from him. But, you know, I think his touch was also lacking against Valencia which wasn't good to see like again, and really it was just his movement that was positive, but it, because it doesn't lead to a goal, it doesn't even lead to an assist. It's like, mm. it's one, another one of those where onto being off the mark is frustrating, but again, I just want him to get more minutes. Like I want him so, to figure it out as, so, opposed to, as opposed to Boosie who I go, no, actually when he is off the mark, we need to remove minutes. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, like you said with, with Busquets, it's, I don't know. It's the the natural progression, or you know, kind of that the the athlete's kind of circle of life kind of thing, where you know the whatever step or fraction of a step or steps or whatever you want to say that he's lost aren't coming back. I mean, he's you know mentally and tactically and everything. He he has all of that. You know, he has everything that he's always had. He can still see the game and think the game. I want to ask that though. Maybe I mean, do you think that all this criticism that he's finally receiving? Mm -hmm. I mean. Really, I mean, you and I have been doing this now for a while, but in years past, everyone who complains about Busquets, I did kind of roll my eyes a bit. I said, yes, we understand his physical limitations. He's always had that. But what he provided, the control he brought to matches, Mm. with kind of the exception of last year, where you could always say, I mean, this is what Busquets provides Mm. you, and that's what he's always provided you. You're not appreciating him enough. And this is the first season where he is really getting criticism, even from within the house, even from, you know, from the people he in his little circle that always, always yeah. been telling him he's been so great. So I'm, I'm just, I'm wondering if for the first time ever, Busquets, if what he's receiving criticism wise, isn't actually affecting the way he's playing these balls, because he still can paying a 40 yard diagonal ball at an incredible rate. He's still phenomenal with certain times, but it seems like he's not playing the, the sheer number of brilliant passes he used to. It seems like even that number is down. And I wonder if that is not 
mental or emotional, or if that is just physical, that he's even losing his touch. Because I feel like that's something you, that doesn't really go away. That's something that doesn't really evaporate. No, and I hear that, and I yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, and I, and I agree with it to a, to a large extent. I do think the criticism the criticism that he's catching, especially from, you know, I mean, he is kind of one of the, one of the last remaining, I don't want to say, you know, sacred or untouchable players, but one of the the last remaining or most unimpeachable players, I guess, you know, remaining on this club. And to start hearing those, you know, those whispers and start hearing those complaints, it, it wouldn't shock me if it, has, if it has had some sort of an effect on him I mean, because this is, you know, this is his home. This has been his professional home his entire life and largely a safe place. And um, so I do think there's a little bit of that. I think there's also, you know what you're saying? We've seen he turns in, you know, phenomenal or brilliant performances sporadically, or, you know, it's, you know, maybe he's not doing it necessarily for 90 minutes as he was, you know, in the past, he still has the capabilities. You know, I'm going to draw another, you know, basketball comparison here. I'm getting a little bit of late stage Chris Paul vibes from Busquets, which is Chris Paul is every bit the hoops genius that he has always been. And he can still, you know, give you 12 assists. And there's going to probably be a dozen nights this year where he scores 25 or 30 and takes over in the fourth quarter. But I think he's leading the league in assists right now. I know it's only like six games, but I'm I'm pretty sure he's leading the league in assists. Yeah. But, but when you see his, his offensive game, which was also kind of, you know, dovetailed with, with the assists is, you know, I mean, he's had some really, really anonymous and, underwhelming mm-hmm. performances this season. And I mean, in that sense, you know, it's long been talked about with Chris Bond. I think similarly with Busquets where he didn't have, Busquets was never this kind of unreal, you know, physical freak athlete. And right. he was obviously an excellent athlete, but you know, he was never one of these physical marvels. So I think the assumption was that his game would age more slowly and more gracefully. And I mean, honestly, to a large extent it has, um, right that up until last season, he was still a game in, game out, 90 minutes a game of essentially brilliant player. I mean, I think he's maxed out every, you know, his, the, the physical tools that, that he had. And, you know, and I think he can still conjure good performances and obviously, you know, ping glorious passes, you know, still fairly regularly and play excellent halves. But I don't know if you can necessarily pencil him in for, you know, 40 to 50 truly stellar, you know, world-class performances this season anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, I could probably throw this hot take at you. But I think that he's going to receive more compliments, and I think there might actually even be pushback to him being completely done and dusted mm-hmm. come the spring. Because other than other than Real Madrid, and I guess there is going to be a lot of emphasis put on those Europa League nights, so we'll mm-hmm. have to see about that. But I mean, there's an opportunity where because Barca don't play even Inter Milan two more times, they don't yeah. play Bayern two more times, they play Real Madrid one more time, there is this world where Busquets looks better in the spring mm-hmm. than he did in the fall because, again, there's five different games, including the one in Santiago Bernabeu, that Busquets is not in a position to get completely overrun yeah. in a way that these five matches already did in, this, in the fall here, yeah. in the first two and a half months of the season. And those games and that competition won't exist in the spring because of the failures here in the fall. And then in the case of Ansu, yeah, you know, kind of pivoting back to him that even against Victoria Pilsen, I mean, you could see a player desperate to score 
I, I think everybody was desperate for him to score. And, you know, as I said before, I, I think that for Ansu, I mean, if he's more clinical in, in Victoria Pilsen, they win mm. seven to two or, or they put them away even earlier. And so Ansu, unfortunately, is not even hitting the net. Like it's not even on target. Yeah. And that is certainly a player lacking confidence. And it's kind of interesting about Ansu because we've heard rumblings that it, it is a confidence issue right now, mm. that he is not only not confident in his body as it's returning to health, but he's not confident on the field that he's able to do even what he used to at, at the rate he did, which is makes sense. I mean, he's still not always a young player, but it's, it's also a long time of him being out and having to consider those things. So, I mean, it's almost like, I mean, he missed almost, almost a 10th of his life, just (laughs) almost a 10th of the time that he has been on this planet was that injury hiatus. I mean, remember he also broke his leg where he was out for an entire year earlier in his career. So yeah, I'm is, not even talking about that one. Yeah, so I'm just talking about this latest one. <laughs> I mean, he is a player who's legitimately missed 20% of his playing career already on the sidelines, both professionally and as a youth player. Yeah. So I, I think for, for Ansu, we've heard that it, it's a confident thing. And I think it's interesting because it, it seems so diametrically opposite from what we remember or think of as Ansu. Because Ansu, you think of the 16-year-old bright-eyed player who can't help but score these miraculous goals who can't help but accidentally put his foot on it in some in improbable way and it goes blasting in the net at 190 miles an hour and that's how i view onsu and that's how i see him in my head so to see a shell of that even at the age of 20 and having to rebuild that and put that back together um the good news is if he's able to do that and many players have done that you're going to have a much more refined a much more confident and a much more complete player, I think, down the road yep. if he's able to kind of rebound from this situation. And speaking of rebounding, now kind of yeah. moving that over to Ferran Torres, I'll let you kind of answer yeah. all, all three of these. Rafinha came into this Victoria Pilsen mm-hmm. match as lost as I think he could be, believe it or not. I mean, again, I'm getting questions in the Facebook group about is he a bust, um, which is an outrageous thought in, in October for Yeah, like for a Rafinha. dozen games in or, you know, I guess 17 right. games in or whatever. Um, but the truth was the best version of Barca's forwards certainly was with Dembele on the right, yes. Lewandowski in the middle, and Xavi figured it out somewhere else because it's not Rafinha. He has to play on the right. Yep. So he looked much better against Victoria Pilsen, which he mm-hmm. should, with the two assists movement between he and Ferran Torres dropping in. That's how they broke that medium to low block of Victoria Pilsen. Yep. And then having Ferran Torres, even if he was a little off target in the first half, but that third goal in particular was the highlight of the match, a really, really yeah. good moment for Ferran Torres and, you know, his movement and all those things. Not to say that a, a match and a double against Victoria Pilsen is going to make you feel vindicated or anything, but really good to see Ferran Torres rebound that way. Really good to see Rafinha that way. And now yeah. the question becomes, can those players take that form against not Victoria Pilsen and back into Lolita? Yeah. So, I mean, okay. So picking up on a few of those things. So, with regard to the Ansu bit, I think the a lot of what you said about Ansu makes you know the the feelings of watching him in his current iteration and what a bummer that is sometimes. I completely echo that. I think the the confidence issue it kind of ties in with. I mean, I've just you know personally just anecdotally just been thinking. You know, I don't know if he's declared fit to play. He's healthy enough to be playing. It boggled my mind that he was never given, or, you know, thus far, he he hasn't been given a big game, like a big start to, to try to be a star again. 
and you know they're treating him too much you know like he's i mean he's our beautiful boy and we have to put him into you know, we have to keep him in bubble wrap and you know and they bring him in so often in these low leverage situations either you know when you're up to three nil or when the champions league is already gone and you're essentially just you know getting him some cardio and where i really wanted to see him play and you know it's it's easy to do this you know kind of the the armchair gm stuff but the week of inter and real madrid i think we might have even i don't know if you and i spoke or if i was just speaking with somebody you know just here offline but it was those two games are a potential moment like those are a chance for ansu to sort of reintroduce himself and reestablish himself and if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But this guy is a star. He's you've talked about him and you've treated him like this talismanic figure. And there's gonna come a point where he needs to play 90 minutes. I mean, or you know, or at the very least to show you that he cannot. And yeah. you know, I thought some of these meaningful games would have been a good chance to do it because it would go a long way towards restoring confidence for him. I mean, if you're willing to start him at the Bernabeu and you're willing to start him at San Siro and, you know, in these games that mean so much, he can't help but get a confidence boost from that. And, you know, I mean, physically, I realize he's not physically the same, you know, the same Marvel that he was at 16, but he's begun to, you know, look and move more like the the player that we saw. And, yeah. you know, it, I think the rest of the season just really needs to be about that. I mean, if he's healthy, I, th I think he, he needs to start as often as possible and he needs to get real meaningful minutes because that's the only way you're going to unlock him or figure out that you can't, you know? And uh, now I shifting think, to... I think, not say the Xavi's job is going to get a bit easier, but I think, again, with... Champions League matches with those Bayerns, with the Inter, with the Real Madrid, where if you don't get your 11 exactly perfect, if you don't get mm -hmm. exactly to be, now we, we've already discussed, you know, in the armchair thing, in hindsight, where Xavi missteps and things like that. But now when it comes to rotation, you could say, you know, Wednesday's Europa League to the Liga game on the weekend, which one is more important, I think is always going to be an argument, right? I yeah. mean, it's not like... It's not like that week with Inter where you said, I mean, Inter was the more important, even than Real Madrid. Like, Inter was the more oh, important. Oh, 100%, yeah. And, and so I think when you go at the way Xavi's going to pick his, his 11s now, you can you can always say that, well, we have five fours we trust, or mm -hmm. who knows about Memphis, right? Five and a half fours that they trust. Right. And so there is going to be three of them are going to be starting this day, and then two and a half, two or plus, of, or two and another one, usually Lewandowski, yeah. will be starting this other one on the next day, right? Yep. And so you, you with confidence can say that La Liga game is not more important than Europa League and vice versa. Europa League is not more important than La Liga. And so you're not kind of trying to funnel all of your 11s to figuring out exactly what your best 11 is for these huge, yep. important, significant Champions League nights. Um, and I think that that might help Shopee a little bit and take some of the pressure when it comes to like defining what a gala 11 going all the way back to the Valverde days was would be. Yeah, agreed. And going back to the Cruyff days, by the way, he's I think the first one to use the Gala Eleven term, but that's 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 a different story for another time. Oh, I like that. <laughs> um, so, in in a weird way, I think I mean obviously advancing from the Champions League group would have been the optimal <laughs> the optimal outcome. But I think I have a hot take, Emil. That's <laughs> yes. <laughs> what the hot, hot takes here? Yeah, I'm 
I'm, I'm about to I'm about to go diving for some silver linings. So we'll see how I we'll see how I do. But I think in a weird way these these Europa League matchups because I think the you know as we obviously learned last year you know you always see during the latter stages of the Europa League. I mean it's it really is you know a lot of Champions League caliber teams in there. So I mean it's you know it becomes very intense. It becomes a a premier European competition. I think it still gives a version of the the big European nights that Xavi can, you know, experiment with lineups and experiment with formations and and tinker a little bit. And the margin for error, marginally, is is larger in the Europa League than it will be in the latter stages of the Champions League. So I do think Barca, Barca should be able to make a fairly deep run into the Europa League and in a way kind of simulate the big European nights for what is still... The Seamus played 17 matches together. They played four meaningful Europa League, ma- uh, you know, Champions League matches. This thing is still a work in progress. And I do think that's something that sometimes gets uh, gets lost a little bit. And the, the perspective kind of fades when when results get bad or, you know, you get bounced from the Champions League and things like that. But, you know, this, this team is still very much a new... This collection of players playing together is still very much a new thing. And the the team and Javi's relationship with them and his tactics with this group are still works in progress. And so I think the Europa League gives you a very good sort of high leverage, but not as high leverage <laughs> backdrop against which to to do some of this stuff in preparation. Effectively, you know, it sounds stupid to talk about it, but in preparation for next year's Champions League group stage to right. to be ready to go into this competition next year better you know better suited for it yeah when if finances don't not say improve but if finances if if january is your only one-to-one opportunity then you go back down to four to one because you get a salary now you're talking about a pretty limited summer so this in theory could be a very similar group to next season and with that group what could you accomplish um you know hopefully you've tried to figure out some kind of solution for the biscuit situation. Mm-hmm. But other than that, like it's by and large going to be, and hopefully it's a healthier group next season yeah. when the, when the matches matter, which was a big problem this year, which, which speaking of healthy, when yeah. with Kunde and Eric Garcia and Araujo and everybody else out the back line today against Victoria Pilsen, Bayerine, oh, uh, BK, Alonso <laughs> and Alba, honestly, Emil, I felt like uh, this analogy, I, I hope worked. It felt like the basically Alba, Bayerine, and Alonzo stacked on top of each other as one of those kids <laughs> in a coat. Yeah. PK as the head. Really. Yeah. I felt like I felt like it was it was, you know, PK was the head, right? Yep. And then the three bodies that are three people a little underneath <laughs> them. And then PK just goes, Hi Shavi, I'm here as I'm a defender. Yeah. And that's what it felt like because I mean Bayerine, I mean there was a day, even two weeks ago, when I was like, oh, Bayerine and Roberto. And this is because I hadn't seen yeah. Bayerine. I knew his reputation. I'd seen him a few times at Arsenal. Well, actually, I think I saw him more at Real Betis than I'd even watched him in Arsenal through those years. But I thought it was 50-50. I said, you know, they're both the backup yeah. to a right back that doesn't exist mm-hmm. yet. But no, Sergio Roberto is, no. it's not even, it's, it's now, it used to be A is a player that doesn't exist or yeah. it's Kunde if Xavi can barter and plead with him to play right back uh, or Rajo. And then B is Sergio Roberto and C is Bayerine. That was rough. I mean, that is, yeah, it's man. one of the performances where 
and I had a hard time with this. Victoria Pilton, the theme here was what matters and what doesn't. Yeah. I think Ferran Torres playing well matters because as weird as the rumor was about Barcelona potentially looking for another, like a nine to back up Lewandowski, that seems like complete nonsense because Ferran Torres can only really play through the middle and should only be playing through the middle. So I I don't know where where that's coming from. But as far as where they need to be looking at, it certainly is the right back spot. Um, But again, Ferran Torres is real. The Frank Kessier and his performance today at the pivot, like, I, I mean, him going down injured, of course, we don't know about him just yet yeah. when we're recording this, but him as a pivot is something that I kind of have to read a little bit too into because it just, it didn't work. But I also yeah. forgive part of it because Pablo Torre got his first actual minutes and very much like you'd expect from a 19 year old scores the goal, yeah. had some good moments, had some good diagonal balls, got forward, yeah. played actually much better with Balde, interestingly enough, than he did with Alba. Something felt really stiff about those two. It's like, and this happens with really, really you know, kind of over it players and players yeah. who are really young, where if the player who's young doesn't do exactly what the older player needs him or wants him to do, then yeah. it doesn't seem to work. So it just felt like stiffness was the only word that I can come up with. But yeah, yeah it felt like Alba was almost, you know, actively choosing not to combine with him well. And it just, it didn't, it wasn't functioning well. So when Balde came on with Ansu, it seemed to be a little more energetic, a little younger, a little more fluid. Not to say that Alba was poor, because Alba, his final ball, his crossing was really good today. Yeah. And it is what we expect from Alba. But his defending was an absolute albatross as well, which yep. again, you pair that with Bayerine, you pair that with Pique, who just didn't look bad, but looked slow. Like yep. just didn't, I mean, look like he was a, a backup. And then Alonso, who, yeah, he scored the first goal, but I mean, the second goal, Goodness gracious! Like Bayerine, <laughs> lie down. It looked it looked like he was in a hammock between the two players, oh, and he was not at all. Yeah, the, 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 the cross comes in, and then Alonso. I mean, the cardinal sin of if you're not going to clear the ball, then try to mark the man, or at least know where the man you're, you're meant to mark is supposed to be. Do something, yeah. yeah it, so, it, I mean, brutal. So it's like, do we read into the fact that that? I mean, hot garbage is a word that I think I overuse, but. The back line was hot garbage against Victoria Pilsen. How So do we read into that or do we say, well, they didn't really get protected at all because Kessier isn't really a pivot. And Pablo Torre, I mean, racing Santander used to protect that kid. He yeah. was an attacking midfielder and they yeah. would defend for him. And watching him defend was also putrid. I mean, you can was, see why, yeah, you can see why you, you know, you put someone in to defend for him. Yeah. yeah. So now he's in the Champions League and he's trying to defend and he, I mean, he's looking like a baby deer. So it's like, do you really blame that much on the back line when, again, Kessie is out of position and Pablo Torre is, I guess, never defended for his entire life? So right. they also played like garbage. So I, I like how much of that do we read into that negativity? I think there's a lot. I mean, there's there's a fair bit to go around. I mean, I think uh, the back line was awful. Um, I mean, they just, they were. Uh, yeah, they, they got no support from, from Kessie and then, Subsequently, Tori. So, okay. Yeah. I mean, you, you know. You it was Gabi. Gabi actually played well. Oh, Gabi yeah. 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 But. but no, I, just, I don't want to, I don't want to loop Gabi into the. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's, he's completely clear of this. At least for today. Thing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, they didn't get much support immediately in front of them, but I mean, they also, I mean, these are four, at the very least, these are supposed to be you know, experienced, intelligent, seen some stuff, won some stuff, guys. 
mm-hmm. who at the very least are supposed to play with like savvy and guile if they don't have the you know the the speed and the agility to hang with younger players but it didn't even look like they were particularly smart players you know what i mean like that's the the one thing yeah. you can at least control is understanding the game and you I know, mean, that's probably the Alba problem. Like, Alba played on the left wing. Yeah. And if you're going to be a left winger and you're not going to, like, work and, and, and fight and, and yeah. try to get back as an le- experienced left back, what do you, you're going to leave Pablo Torre alone, right? And, and so <laughs> you get putting yeah. Alba put Pablo Torre in these really bad situations by just kind of. And I do think there's a little bit of. I think you touched on it a little bit. I, I don't know. I'm, whatever, I'll do it. <laughs> but I, I don't mean to try to jump into Jordi Alba's head, but I mean, I can imagine where he might be a little bit over this. You know, yes. essentially, like, it's it's been a medley of take a pay cut, we're going to bench you, we'd like you to leave, we're going to bench you, hey, we need your help, can you come back and give us 90 minutes sort of thing. So I, I can see where... After we're already living within the Champions League. Yep. Right. Yeah, would you sure. like to go, you know, would you like to go to Central Eastern Europe and just play a meaningless game, you know, for... I mean, it, it is also kind of with his, not say his brand, but this is, we're talking years past. Yeah. Other than that one comeback against Granada, what, two years ago? Yeah. Jordi Alba has a habit, if you watch those mm-hmm. Copa del Rey, when, when Barcelona were mm-hmm. only having one left back, yeah. oddly enough, last year or two <laughs> years ago or three years ago, Jordi Alba, when it comes to the first round of Copa del Rey, I mean, I, I have the match reviews to back it up. Like, I can tell you that he didn't show up. I mean, yeah. so often... He would go, what division are they in? And then oh, I felt yeah. like he, he waited to the 70th minute to kind of say, I really hope I have that, that switch today. And yep. there were a lot of times in Jordi Alba didn't, but Barcelona had the talent to get through. Yeah, there was like or, a messy around to just sort of had a mess fix everything. Yeah. And yeah, sure. So I think there's a little bit of Jordi Alba personally might be over this entire like emotional roller coaster that he's been on sure. at the club. And then you couple it with, we have to go to Central Europe, you know, we have to go to Eastern Europe to play a literally meaningless game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, well, I mean, again, we're, I'm, you're, you're used to being in the U.S. Like, it's a two-hour flight. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but, you know, it's like you're playing. It's raining. I guess it was raining. There you go. Yeah, it was, you know, it's, it was, it's, it's raining. It's, it's raining. It's colder. I mean, I think more than anything, it's, look, it, honestly, even if it had been at Camp Nou, I think there's a certain element of, all right, let's just, no one try to be a hero. Let's just try to get out of this thing with all of our hamstrings intact. And yeah, which again, irony of Frank Kessler, right? Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of that. I think there, I think there was a little bit of a mail it in performance on the part of the back line to be sure, because I think those are the, I mean, to a man, I think they're all varying degrees of out of favor veteran who is now, you know, they're now being asked to play like sort of the, the group minnows on the road in a meaningless game. I wouldn't be surprised if you, you know, if you gave all those guys truth serum, if every one of them said, even now, even in their current form, that this game felt beneath them. You know, why don't you just throw right. some youth kids out there and, you know, just, you know, slog through 90 minutes and we can all just go home. Yeah. But, well, to be honest, that's one of the questions I have that, I mean, we, we can kind of finish this up on this topic, that I, I think it's four youth players in the Champions League and not five, because that is why Dembele, I mean, because I think somebody brought it up that, why in a rainy situation right. when you saw a guy blow out a hamstring, do you bring on Usamani Dembele to close out a game? And I think when you have Elasha Komas, who exactly plays on the right wing, he is a right winger, an inverted right winger, yes. exactly like Rafinha. So why is Elash not coming on this field and you're putting out Dembele? And I think the answer is that 
because Balde was put on the field, and I don't know why that substitution mm-hmm. was made. Maybe maybe Xavi saw the same thing we did and said, "Hey, Jordy, the game is three two. Can you please not well, complete?" Well, you know, I, I think that actually was what it was. Look, when when you talked about the the comparison between Jordi Alba and Balde in in this game, I mean, you touched on all the all the key words that were bouncing around my head. It was kind of they felt engaged and engaged in the game and sort of engaged in their own kind of personal interplay Mm -hmm. and youthful and energetic. And I think there is a thing like when you have a player in Jordi Alba's situation, you know, veteran out of favor, you know, on the, on the wrong side, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you get this 19 year old youth player who's, you know, talented and just, you know, busting it and trying to, you know, trying to make a name for himself, trying to put in a performance I think there's partly a little bit of your own frustrations bubble over and mm-hmm. you realize that effectively this guy is, this guy represents hope for the generation that comes after you've left. So I can see where it might be kind of easy to be like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not that into this, but where yeah. you put the two young guys out there and they're like, man, you know, if we kill it, we could both be out here starting in two, three years and we could be part of the next Right. next run of Barca teams. And so I I liked seeing Balde out there for that reason. I mean, he, he injected something into the team that really was missing prior to his introduction. But yeah, I mean, but for that reason, they had to put Dembele on, which, yeah, well, on, a, on a rainy... I think, but I, I'm not sure though, too, because I think didn't, wasn't it Alvaro Sanz came on when Pablo Torre, after he scored the fourth goal, and he goes down. Yeah. So... You still had Alvaro Sanz coming on. So at that point, it was only Mark Casado, it was Pablo Torre, and it was Balde. Balde. Unless Gabi is still registered as a B player until January, because I think you cannot register with the first team until, even though he signed the contract already, yeah. I don't think you can register until the, the when the registration window opens again. So I, I think admittedly after, don't know that, but that would make sense actually. That would be the reasoning. Yep. Because then again, you had Avaro Sanz coming on for for Pablo Torre, and in theory, there was only one spot with Casado, Balde, and Gabi already on the field too. Yes. But again, I also thought it was potentially five in the starting lineup, or you know, I'm not again. I, I'm not exactly sure. Maybe it was he just wanted to give Demelé a, a run out. And he felt like Elash wasn't ready for those moments. Again, oddly enough, Elash did start in Xavi's very first game. What was it now 13 months ago? Elash actually started in the first game that Xavi took over. But, uh, you know, again, when, when once Ms. Casado and Sanz were in the midfield, I was kind of reminded, this is no disrespect to Alfonso, Alfaro Sanz. I have felt like every time I've seen him for the first team or even with mm-hmm. Barca Athletic, he's been an important player now for the, the, the B team for two and a half years. I just... He's one of those players, very much even like a, actually less than like a Carlos Perez, where I just feel like he's not going to be in Barca's first team. It's just, mm. it just, there's something that highest level is missing from him. Mm. And very much, I mean, actually almost what happened to Mika Marmo where he goes Andorra and mm. now they're for promotion to the, the second division or that maybe they're in the second division now and they're fighting for promotion to the first. I, I don't remember. Or, I got to ask PK. Yeah, but, exactly. Either way, so I think, that is more where I feel like his level is going to be, like with an FC Andorra or the team that's fighting to play in the first division. Um, even at this point, a Sporting Gijón or a Real Oviedo, right? Like one of those kind of teams. Andorra um, currently eighth in uh, the Segunda. The second division, right? So yeah, and that's what I'm saying. So like yeah. that's Vika Marmol uh, wound up for a team that's like pushing 
wanting with 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 I mean making making moves or trying to make moves in the second division. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean they're they're, they're not like, out of reach of you know getting into the promotion yeah. spots. And I always felt like that's where Alfaro Sanz is. For Mark Casado, it's interesting because you know, it's funny that Xavi Sim- Simons came out came up early in the week too, is what like saying about you know Barca youth players don't lift any weights or anything like that in mm-hmm. the gym, and France was a different situation. I want to remind people and again, this is going back in the wayback machine that Casado having big performances for the Cadet Oz at the time, the U16s, was one of the reasons why Xavi Simons decided to go elsewhere. It's why one of the, one of the reasons it was money, yes. But he had also lost his spot mm-hmm. between Chus Alba and Mark Casado. There almost was no room in that U16 midfield for him anymore. And that led to him playing on the wing a bit more, which has worked out for him mm-hmm. in his career. Now he's banging goals for PSV as a forward. But Casado has always fluctuated between being a good prospect and a potentially great prospect, where if you ask me based on the performance, how many appearances I think, I, I, I think that he's almost an Alex Callado where depending on the year, you might need him. Yeah. So like next year, they might, I mean, listen, if finances work the way they do, mm-hmm. and there is no 60 million euro Zubamendi deal or or no player to play the pivot who's brought in to pay the pivot, and De Young is still sticking around, but he's an interior slash pivot, and yep. where is he going to be? I could see Casado being this backup pivot to a, a player that isn't a pivot. Right, if that makes sense. Yeah. Where you, next year you say, "Hey, we're going to play a double pivot with Kessier and De Young, and De Young is also our pivot when we play just one in the four-three-three." But Casado is our backup pivot, and I could see a world where that makes sense. Again, where he plays in a again the twenty-fourth or twenty-fifth man, or an Alex Cayado, or again, you also expect Nico Gonzalez to come back and take that spot. But what if Nico is just an interior? What if Nico mm-hmm. wants to play elsewhere? That's weird. Like, there's so much that can change. Where Casado might wind up in the first team. You know, I think he's a very, he's safe. He is practical. He doesn't have the same ball playing abilities as Busquets. So then you ask, what is he? Like, yeah. how does he affect the game in a really positive way against elite teams? And I, because I can't answer that question, I do wonder, you know, what is, as I, as I always say, with when it comes to Barca players, what is his elite skill? And I can't really answer that question other than he is very safe. He helps you control a match. He can do that for Barca Athletic. Can you do that in the first division? I don't know. I think he's, I think he's depth in the sense of kind of how you're describing. And if as he matures and his game matures, that ability to control a match, hypothetically say it doesn't come at the, like you say it never arrives at the Champions League level, at the against Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, you know, whatever, top, top four, top five team level. But if he's able to do that consistently against teams nine through 20 in the league during a long campaign i think as you know as a backup and as a essentially a you know a spot starter against lesser opposition where you're not burning your we're not burning slash risking your top end talent i think there's there's value there i mean and none of this is i realize a lot of this sounds like kind of damning with faint praise but it's really not i mean because these are valuable these are valuable roles on excellent well, teams. Yeah, and I think I think him being a pivot and also being able to play right back, having that kind of versatility, I think that is his only path to sticking around yep. in, in future seasons. Because if he was an in interior, like there's a player right now at the U uh, playing for Barth Athletic and mm-hmm. Juvenile A, and that's Alice Garrido. And Alice Garrido is a very talented player, but I think he is 
he's the limit of one too many young midfielders, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think that's un- what's going to be unfortunate for yeah. him. I think he's coming around as the youngest in, not youngest because Gabby's younger, but yeah. he's in that batch and he's the youngest of Pedri, Pablo Torre, even Casado, who plays yeah. on the back, even even Alfaro Sanz, who gets called up for these, right? I love um, so much that Gavi is still, like, with all of these new names popping up and everything, everything like, is like, yeah, Gavi's still the youngest. <laughs> exactly, right. Even uh, as a player, Danny Rodriguez. Danny Rodriguez looks, he, I think he's 17 now, looks 17, yeah. really, really young. And again, you're like, oh, Gavi just turned uh, yeah, this guy's barely, barely younger than him. So uh, speaking of young, last point here, the U19s are, they also played a game that didn't matter today against Victoria Pilsen, but because they'd already won the group. So that's a good thing in the UEFA Youth League. Yep. And uh, Lamine Yamal winds up being the, was it the youngest Barcelona starter in the UEFA Youth League, I believe, having been the, or and then also uh, Mark um, Mark uh, was it Kubasari or Kubasari? I don't know how to pronounce that. He winds up at 15, being like the third youngest debutant <laughs> in that uh, in the UEFA Youth League, just behind Lamil Yamal and mm-hmm. uh, Moriba, who, as you remember, you know was was a big prospect for Barca. Yep. Not that he's still a teenager himself, or just turned 20 or whatever. But Lamil Yamal got a chance to see him today. Hot take on prediction on him: He's going to be a Barca Athletic slash U19 player again next year at 16 and having watched him again today yeah. worries about him or his physicality, yeah. but again, he's 15. So yeah. I can almost guarantee that he will make an appearance on the first team, one appearance at least or two for the first team next year. This kid is, he's special. He's really, really good. And again, Gabi was more prepared. Yeah. Pedri at 16 was more prepared physically. Ansu was more prepared physically. This kid still looks 15. Mm. And so w- we don't know what one year does. Like when, when he's yeah. 16, right? Like when Ansu was 15, he did kind of look like a 15 year old and 15 to 16 is a huge change at that age. So yeah. we don't know what he's going to look like in one year's time. His birthday's in July. So again, he just turned even 15, mm. right? He's technically like 14 plus a little bit. So when he's actually 16 oh, years old <laughs> next spring, we'll say like, and he's, closer to 17 and 16, I think, I don't be surprised if that name, I know that's a name people know, but I, I think he's, I, I very much, I, I put a little bit of trust in him. So it, it is, it's funny because I felt like with Gavi being 16 and things that or 17 now, I could take my, my La Masia updates. We're going to get a little boring. And now all of a sudden you have these, <laughs> at least, like Yamal, I've already was mentioning, but now you have two defenders in, Hec- in Hector Fort. And this other kid, that the fifteen-year-old, that you need to kind of start to put your eyes on, because again, Xavi it, it might not have the finances to reinforce with with yeah. older players as well. So you know he's going to take a good look at these fifteen and sixteen-year-olds and seventeen-year-olds. And again, if they're young enough, or if they're good enough, they're young enough. So that's just a reminder too that there are the the the, the, the academy keeps on churning, and to see defenders finally. After yeah. watching your fields, and that's where I'll end it. After watching this performance from Hector Bierin and Alonso, it's nice to see some from uh, high oh. prospect defenders in the academy again. I saw and some I- stuff on Twitter. This I saw some stuff on Twitter tonight, just pining for the days of like Langley and Serginho Dest. <laughs> just, you know, yeah, and it it would be difficult to refute those you know <laughs> refute those comments. <laughs> Yeah, it was a rough one. It was a rough it one. Was. You just say, let's forget about this one. And again, Alonso, you know, the good news for him is that when Kunde and Garcia and Araujo hopefully are all healthy after the World Cup, again, knock on wood there, yep. that Alonso can go 
I'm not playing center back. I didn't want to do it for Chelsea. I didn't want to. I didn't come here to play center back. Please yeah. stop making me play. I know I have a left foot, but please stop making me play center back. And Xavi can look at the tape easily and say, "Yeah, I agree with you. I think this this experiment is end, is ended." But yeah. anyway, there's there's a few more matches to go. We've got just about one week actually. Two more matches. Yeah, I was actually just I was actually just looking ahead at the schedule, so it's yeah, uh, the World Cup, so it's not easy. Next Tuesday, even Osasuna. So uh, yeah, that's yeah, away we, to Osasuna, and then. Home a week from, I guess a week from today. It's already the second here. That's why I. Uh, right, right, yeah. But uh, but uh, yeah, a week from today at home against Almeria, and then it's uh, I guess off to the World Cup. It's off for a full month. So yeah, uh, um, I actually I'll give my wife credit on this one. I'm not mm-hmm. going to announce it yet, but I do have an idea for World Cup coverage. Mm-hmm. I've got a, a, a special idea that she threw out there. I said, oh, how am I going to? It goes stale. I'm kind of feeling weird about a World Cup in guitar. How you know? How do I want to cover that? How do I care about it? And she gave me a good idea. So um, I'm gonna put that into action. We'll be announcing that after these last two matches. So it's still gung ho throughout the the rest of this uh, Liga campaign until it's the World Cup break. But you know that'll wrap it up. We did Valencia. We did Victoria Pilsen. That means the Champions League is over. So now we're focused on Europa League and things like that. And that is where the focus will be after the like World if, Cup. Like I keep telling people, the Europa League is where it's really at. Well, I'd say, I mean, there's enough good teams. <laughs> yep. um, and, I, and that's another broadcast deal, too. Listen, if you get all these legacy teams, right? Man United and yeah. Arsenal, Ajax and Barca with, with all these long-term fan bases and more eyes going to the Europa League and it's yeah. not just some day afterthought, then the next time they go to renegotiate that deal next year or the year after, they're going to be able to say, hey, look at how many eyeballs are on the Europa League. So broadcasting rights is the whole thing. So anyway, I, I'm not going to pull people's broadcasting rights. Yep. Follow me all. Twitter and follow his work and things. Do do your reading. Uh, if, if podcasts and video and all that. I mean, if you're still here, then obviously audio is your format. But Twitter, <laughs> Instagram for uh, well, Twitter for him. Twitter and Instagram for us at the Barcelona Pod at Hilton D13 for me. Close Facebook group, the Barcelona Podcast merch store, Patreon, YouTube channel, as you know. So YouTube channels, I'll start to make sure that I actually have the full full video in again. Uh, so I, I'm on medication. I'm feeling better. So. Uh, we'll, we'll try to we'll try to minimize some of that. Great. If not, I got the whole World Cup break to figure that out. So, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, I'll talk to you soon. Of course, Marcel. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants—they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.